I think that, you know, that the sit spot is exactly that. It's just going outside and, and being curious and seeing what draws your attention and then asking more questions. You know, like, oh, that tree is interesting. The question I might ask is, could I climb it? And if I can climb it, will I climb it? Or, you know, I see all these trees that I, I can't yet climb, but that's the motivation. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This is episode number 97, Kyle Cuck, Training, Nature, and Tracking. Going to a gym just doesn't cut it for Kyle Cuck. His movement is guided by being in nature and responding to his environment. He recounts his movement journey from beginnings to rediscovery and explains his current training. Kyle shares his insights on learning to interact with the environment and seeing others begin to train outside. He discusses the nervous system, the importance of training in nature, and his inspirations. Kyle Cuck is a former IT software technician turned self-described nature nerd. He has been facilitating transformative practices in nature for almost a decade, inspiring youth and adults to connect to their gifts through exploration, play, and curiosity. Kyle is always expanding his practice through the study and application of functional neurology concepts, traditional strength training, Systema, and the Wim Hof Method. When not teaching or facilitating, you can find Kyle exploring ways to deepen his connection with himself, others, and the earth. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 97. And I have a nagging question. Is it important to you that we publish episodes every week? Because that takes a lot of work, but I'm not sure it actually matters. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So reach out if you have a moment. Thanks for listening. Hi, Kyle. Hey, Craig. Pleasure to be here today. I'm tickled pink that we get another chance to talk. We had a chance to talk during Art of Retreat. I think that episode came out in February on Art of Retreat's podcast, which is on CastBox FM. If you haven't seen us do these videos before, we link everything in show notes. So you can just go find that link to click on it. So Kyle, I always like to start these by asking people, thinking back on your childhood, what role did movement play as you were growing up? Yeah, I think it, it definitely played a big role. And I think I was unaware of how impactful it was in my childhood. I spent, yeah, we played outside all the time. And in my neighborhood, uh, we had a pretty tight knit group and we would play night games, mm. right? So we would have everybody's yards divided up into territories and we would be running around and playing games. And then shortly after that, I moved into like early suburban America. Like we were literally the first house in the <laughs> suburb. So we had all these woods and yeah, we'd run around and hunt rabbits and build tree houses and catch frogs. And so though I wasn't aware of it, movement was, it was that, you know, it contributed and allowed me to do all those things. And I'm... Uh, where was that roughly in the country? Is that roughly where you are now? Still in the Northwest or? No, it was uh, just north of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So mm -hmm. in the Midwest. And I'm wondering what 
like you never, I'm wondering, have you never lost that innate movement? Because the conversations and part of this is like, do I want to unpack it all? Or do I want to just pretend because you and I talked at length before out in Seattle. Oh, moment of silence for how nice it was in the Cascades. I'm wondering, <laughs> did you manage to hold that thread of movement from childhood or, or did you ever lose it? Because sometimes people go to college and then they find they can't move as much. I'm wondering, did you manage to maintain that all the way through? Because it's clearly still a big part of your life. Yeah, I would say that I lost it. I think you could make the argument that we're always moving, but I think, you know, my my priorities really got away from it. You know, after high school, you know, I played sports, but yeah, as I started to get into, you know, my teenage, my late teens, early 20s, like movement was not a priority. It was like mm. I walked to a house party and then I walked home or I walked to class, you know, it wasn't anything like parkour or like I didn't really work out or I didn't have like a practice mm. movement was just something I did unconsciously to get from A to B. And yeah, was so there, I definitely lost it. Was there something that, now this question obviously, is there something that happened that made you rediscover it or did it become something that you chose to go, to go back to yourself? Yeah, there was a couple things. I mean, once I got into the IT field and like before IT, I had a, a job uh, working in the archiving department. So I was moving boxes and, and I had a pretty good movement work movement at work. And then once I got into IT and I became very sedentary, um, I started to become aware of that mm -hmm. and I joined a gym. <laughs> <laughs> and did that, I mean, how did that work out? Cause I, I think we're all we're both chuckling as like, yeah, that never works out really that great, but <laughs> it was actually, was like? it was a, yeah, it was a cool, it was called the monkey bar gym in Milwaukee. And it was cool because it it had a lot of these animal form elements that are a big part of my movement practice today. And they were more like body weight workouts and jumping rope and like active. And there was some partner components. So it was actually a really fun way. Yeah. To get that kind of like metabolic conditioning, but it was, yeah, it wasn't like a traditional, like go to the treadmill type of gym. Like they had ropes you could swing on and like, yeah, kettlebells and, yeah, lots of animal type movements. And, but that's clearly still, that's not what you're doing these days. So there's still a significant difference. Like now the discussion that you and I had about, about like sitting and observing and being in nature, that's a very more thoughtful approach than mm. going to a gym. And I'm like, okay, so how did what's what's the switch like what changed there do you remember the point in time where you realized that you wanted something different from your movement practice if i put words in your mouth yeah i do and it actually happened through a different avenue i mean i, I was feeling this disconnection at my work i was our company had just been bought out and we were forcing these people to like upgrade their software and we mm. were kind of doing all these things that i didn't like feel good about from a professional perspective and that led me to kind of search into nature. And I attended a class, I made a fire, and that propelled me to move out to Washington and attend a nine-month uh, survival school. And a big part of that school was animal forms. So pretending to be an animal and then see where that takes you. Mm. 
And right. where that would that was, take was, you? Right. <laughs> like, so, so where yeah, does, it took me to like, all these amazing, I would find fox dens and bear trails and I would get to see deer and all these animals. And it also like, so I had all these amazing experiences and at the same time, like I was unfit and immobile. And <laughs> I realized like the ways in which I want to move, I can't. Yeah. I can no like, longer I, do. Like I can't be a fox for more than like 20 minutes without several rests in between. And, and that type of movement and also the people in my class, they could like do backflips. And um, my friend Tyler was this amazing kind of ninja acrobat. And he watching him move really inspired me. And actually Parkour Visions was, you know, one of the first parkour gyms in, in this area that opened up. And, and so I just happened to be positioned in a place where like I was learning all these things and there was the parkour gym happening. And I finally made that connection. Mm. So I'm wondering if someone, you know, hears this and then they realize that I don't want to say they're in the gym world because I don't mean it'd be that derogatory, but if somebody is sort of in that gym mindset where, movement practice for them is something that they schedule and then they go do it. So I have this time, I'm going to the place, I'm doing the thing. How do they, how do you, they move themselves mentally from that mindset of this is what activity and movement is? How do they flip the switch to make it become an integral part of their life and hopefully outdoors as well? Yeah, totally. And this is a question I ask a lot of people. I'm like, why do you go to the gym or how do you know what to work on when you do go to the gym? And a lot of people are silent and then they're like, Oh, like buys, tries, chest, legs. Yes. I'm like, well, <laughs> your leg has a lot of muscles. Like what are you working on? Are you working on strength, mobility, both? And so a big, I kind of had the reverse route. So I got really into natural movement. And that became kind of like, you know, my dogma, like I have to train outside, like I'm going to get good just by doing. And then I reached this plateau where I had, I wasn't that good. I had tendonitis in my elbows. I was, I was having knee pain. You know, I was having a lot of these overuse injuries and I started training um, my roommate, Tanner Walker in check him out. He's got great work, but he put me on a, a strength and mobility program and I'd never done one before. And I was like, Oh, okay. And he, he's aware of my practice. So he designed this program to give me better mobility so that I can move in my QM better, gave me better grip strength and hanging uh, strength so that I can better climb trees. Mm. And so I think the switch is, is like, well, are you just going to the gym to look good or like what form or function? Like, do you want to be able to lift up your kids? Do you want to be able to push your friend's car out of a ditch? You know, how do we start to tie our real life applications to the gym? Mm. Right. Cause I was, I was totally against the gym and now I'm like, Oh, the gym is a powerful tool when used consciously that can really expand and give us the ability to do amazing things mm. versus just like the, you know, the grind, like go to the gym. Da, da, do da, the da. Routine. Like, 
So are you currently, like, what's something that's currently challenging for you? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking in the movement space, but you could go anywhere with a question. And I'm like, what's something that's currently challenging? Yeah, I mean, in related to movement, like, I've struggled to sit in a resting squat for a long time. <laughs> Amen. <and> I, <laughs> Amen, I'm guilty. <laughs> yeah, and people think, like, they see me move and they would they probably assume I can and I can't. And I, I'm also working on horizontal bar balance mm-hmm. so just like the balls of my feet are on the bar versus yeah. like walking across, across the bar right the way a bird would sit on a bar yeah and i you know my my dorsal flexion is terrible and my tibialis is weak mm. and so like as i've started training that and then i also do bar work i'm finding i'm getting really good really fast Hmm. Um, and so that's where like, I, I, I both have to train the skill, but I have to train the muscles to be stronger and better at the skill. Are there, are there any particular places that you go? So it, it seems to me like you might have known exactly how to do all of what you need to do to train that skill. But I'm wondering, are there situations where you decide, okay, I want to fix this, or I want to change this about myself. And where do you, where would you go to try and find more resources? Like, can you still contact Tanner or do you think that there, one can learn this through books or YouTube or is it have to be done experientially with other people? Like where, where would you turn for resources if you came up on a problem that you didn't know off the top of your head how to solve? Yeah, I think, you know, we live in this incredible age where you could just Google anything, right? And, and maybe that's good or bad. You know, there's a lot of trash out there, but yeah, I think finding people and having a coach and having a mentor, I think, I think is one of the best things that anybody can do um, in the nature connection space. Like I was mentored in this way. And mm. I, I, that's that distinguishing like quality of a coach. I feel like a coach is like kind of like telling you what to do and a mentor is like drawing out your own insights right? They're Mm -hmm. kind of leading you, they're helping lead you down the path, but you're doing the work. And there's a lot of similarities and crossovers. But I think, yeah, I think we need people in our lives to to reflect back to us what's working or what's not working, right? And so I, I really encourage people, you know, if you want to learn something is like, find out who's the best and see who they learned from, you know, are they alive? Are they available? Okay, maybe they're not. And then you can work your way down that chain, mm. right? I'm just thinking in like two directions. I'm torn between talking more about mentoring and coaching, but I'm also super interested to hear more about your description about how you interact with the outside world, like when you're out moving and I hesitate to say training because it almost makes it sound trivial, but I'm, I'm just wondering what your <laughs> thoughts are about like, I know you've done things uh, of going out for sit spots and looking for like, I think that's a powerful tool for people to, to try first. Um, and I'm just wondering if you're, if you want to unpack some of your thinking about how people should go out and interact with the environment. Yeah, it was interesting. Actually, the other day, you know, I was, I was walking around my neighborhood and I think that's such a good step is to, is to walk around and to be curious and notice things, right? Like I, I live in Northeast Seattle and as I'm walking around, I see all of these trees and houses 
and I have that like parkour vision, right? Where I'm like, ooh, mm. ooh, ah, uh. And I saw a lady, she was at a school and she was climbing on a wall, like a rock wall or the side of a building. And I was just like chatting with her and I'm like, she's like, yeah, it's really hard to find walls around here. I'm like, well, have you ever thought about climbing trees? And she's like, well, she's like, do you know any good trees to climb? And yes, I was all like, the yeah. Trees. I'm like, <laughs> there's a park, you know, over here. And so I think that, you know, that the sit spot is exactly that. It's just going outside and, and being curious and seeing what draws your attention and then asking more questions. You know, like, oh, that tree is interesting. The question I might ask is, could I climb it? And if I can climb it, will I climb it? Or, you know, I see all these trees that I I can't yet climb, but that's the motivation of like, ooh, like even I got I got new shoes and I usually wear like barefoot shoes, which are they t- typically have terrible grit. And I actually was trying out the zeros and I and the grip was pretty good. And I, I did a, a kind of like a tack wall run. And I was able to grab this branch with one arm. And I was like, oh, I, I, I can jump higher and I can hold better. And I just unlocked that tree. Mm. Right. So it was like I just now that it's like a jump, right? When you unlock a jump, a whole world of jumps opens to you. When you unlock a tree, a whole world of trees to climb. Um, open up to you and so yeah it's like that n- that noticing and then taking it a step further and, and making that first attempt a lot of people that i talk to have as as you do have a very uh, i'm going to say clear idea of what they want to accomplish for themselves so you don't know the destination but you know what you should work on today and you can sort of guide yourself through your own journey So that's something that I encounter a lot. And it's probably just because of the type of people that I seek out to talk to, but I encounter that a lot. And then I'm always curious about, because we're all doing that pretty much in public spaces, and you might be in middle of the woods where there aren't as many people, but we're generally out in public when we do these types of things for ourselves, we invariably bump up against society to a lesser or greater degree. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about when you're encountering other people do you are are you able to continue doing what you were doing, or do you find that you have to choose between I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, or I'm going to modify this because I'm now touching society? You know, like oh, here comes somebody. Um, I'm just wondering how how that works out for you the the contact with society and how that affects what you're doing. Yeah, it definitely affects me, and yeah, I I actually have you know with this current situation that we're in, I have, you know, the majority of my practice takes place in city parks, mm. right? And, and there's this interesting balance. Uh, I mean, it totally affects me. So sometimes it inspires me to do something bigger, cooler, you know, to like impress or kind of feed my ego. And yeah, sometimes it encourages me to like be really mindful of what I'm doing because of the perception. Um, so especially like kids, when there are kids at the park and they're watching me, like I'm stoked. I want to inspire them, right? I want to show them um, what's possible. And it's interesting to see the reaction of the parent for sure. It definitely depends on the age of the kid. Like if the kid is too young to try 
and really interested, the parents are stoked. But if the kid is old enough to actually act on the things that I'm mm. doing, uh, the parents are usually sometimes give me like a, a disdained look. Like, oh, I know you're instigating. Why are you yeah. on the playground? This is for the kids. Mm. Yeah. So I, I want to be, I want to role model like healthy adults that play. Um, I also want to role model, you know, like, you know, when you're climbing a tree, like you can damage the tree. Right. Yeah. And so I want to role model that. And I've, and I've had people like, you know, yell at me, like, what are you doing? Get down there. Like, you can't do that, that you, you're hurting the tree. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I've, I'm always in torn between like, how do I respond? Right. Do I, do I educate them? And or offer my perspective on how I'm actually providing value to the tree. Yeah, right. Like trees, them or right. How do you? Yeah, and so that's that's definitely a, a tough place to be in, you know, because I have broken branches and I have damaged trees, and and I don't feel good about it, and I'm I'm super bummed. And if I do that, and someone sees it, it creates this image, right? Mm. Same in parkour. There's like a headline, like. Whoever damaged some, somebody mod- damages a railing, or right, yeah. And it's like you know, I just I wish they could see or feel my remorse when that happens. That's a good point. I hear what you're saying about the remorse when you cause damage. I I saw. Make sure I tell the story so it can't be identified. I saw a coach at an event once demonstrating being playful wipe out a lamppost. <laughs> Like in other words, the, the, they swung around it and the lamppost just like went, uh, I'm too old for that and came down. It came down really slow and nobody got hurt, but the light definitely broke and it certainly fell over. And that, I'm like, yep, that's irreparably damaged. Like to fix that, they're going to have to like, that's, that's a major repair. And it, not much was said about it. And we basically just left it because what were we going to do? But I don't know. I didn't talk to the coach about it because they want to make a big deal out of it, but I felt bad in like the remorse sense, like not, oh my God, we broke a light, but oh, I hate when this thing that we all love so much causes any damage at all. Not because I want to be like a, we leave no trace, but just because that is so not what any of the people that I train with are ever intending to do. We don't mean to rip a branch mm. off. We don't mean to wreck a light post, but when it does happen, it's like, Oh, or, or, you know, like a you, your railing comes loose from pulling on it because those anchors and the bricks are meant to be, you know, not <laughs> pulled. But, you know, like when those things happen, you're, you're torn um, internally. And I actually think that's really good for, for one, for anyone, each of us to experience that. It's really good for you to like grab on something, break it in public, and then go, oh, because that's an important emotion because that gives you a frame of reference for how much you valued that thing that you were hanging on. Like you might not have thought about it when you went to swing on the tree, but you really value that tree. And then when you break one once in a while, it really like uh, not resets as in changes, but like shows you how much you value that. And um, when you mentioned that, you know, the remorse for like just a tree, right? Like 20 years, you can make a new one and there's thousands more just like it. But the remorse shows to yourself that you really do value those, um, those moments, those times, those trees, those experiences. Yeah. And that, and that connection and, you know, you know, not to say that like man-made things, you know, 
people don't have deep connections to them. But yeah, there's something about, you know, like a tree branch that I've, I've swung on, you know, this, I, I broke a branch a few weeks ago and it's a branch that I, I use to get into the tree. Mm. And, you know, so it's like that access point for me. And, you know, I've played on that branch for four years and I broke it. So I was like, man, it like, I felt so bad. And, you know, I know enough about trees to like, you know, either like remove the branch or, you know, support the tree in a way that it, it can heal and it's not going to overall affect the health of the tree. But yeah, it is making me so much more aware on every tree I will climb from here on out. Mm. And I think that's the thing. It's not that these things are bad or it's that it's an opportunity when you fail um, to create awareness, to move forward on a, on a, on a better path and to have more awareness. Um, because the whole leave no trace thing, like I, I have a problem with it because it's impossible. It is like, it, it is an absolutely impossible standard to not leave a trace, right? Like in, in the nature sense, like the mycelium responds to every footstep, print, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and everything that we do, we, we have impact just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And, you know, I want to be in a place of creating more positive stories. Like I was running a seminar in LA and the park was trashed. There was glass and everywhere. And usually we spend a couple days scouting and trying to figure out what we're going to do. Well, we spent the first three days just cleaning <laughs> up garbage. So that, and then when our students came, they're like, wow, this is such a cool spot. You know? Here's and the before like, photo. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, like uh, a thing that just drives me crazy is balloons. I always find balloons in trees, trees. and in nature and that, like, I have the skill to climb the tree and remove that balloon, right? So I, I is, you know, I think I want to create these more positive parkour stories that we can actually use our skills for good, right? We have this opportunity to be real life superheroes because we can do things that are amazing and incredible. And often it just looks like Instagram highlight reels, but it could look like... like saving cats and removing trash and, you know, (laughs) whatever. Before you were um, earlier, you were talking about mentoring and I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, One of the things I'm always interested in teasing apart is the, I, this is a, a theory that I have a supposition, the idea that not only does each person, well, first of all, everybody should find a mentor, but, but setting that aside, the people that can mentor you have to be in a certain uh, place, like in life. So it may be that, you know, you can mentor certain kinds of people, but maybe you can't mentor people who are just making the transition from Xbox, Sofa, Doritos, you know, Red Bull. They're just making that transition to the outside world. Like what those people need to work on might be so elementary from your perspective that you're not a good fit for them. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts for people who find themselves now they're getting further on in their journey and they might be looking back at 
and I don't just mean in parkour, looking back at people and going, you know, like you start to get a condescending, sour outlook on the people who are way, way behind you. And I'm wondering, do you have any experience of like that happened to you where you see people and instead of feeling invigorated, like look, somebody who's moving, instead you have a negative feeling of like, oh, look, another, you know, another Gumby in the, in the park kind of thing. I'm just wondering what your experience has been as the further that you go, if you're having that perspective on the people who are just starting out. Um, I'm stoked. I saw, you know, especially in our current situation, I see more and more people turning to the park for their workouts and I see them doing things that, yeah, I think are dumb. I'm like, that is not a <laughs> effective workout, right? That's like something you saw on Instagram and you're going to just do. So I have that, but that's coupled with like, I'm so stoked that you're outside doing it, mm. right? Because I'm so deeply aware of like all of the scientific benefits of nature and then all of my experience and anecdotal um benefits of nature so when i see it I, i'm in both places i'm like you know like uh like cool but i'm so glad you're outside right that's like that's my number one goal for anybody is like step one go outside step two remain right and and i also i, I work with kids so i i get to help people and see where people are at in the beginning or in different stages of their journey and I just, I know I'm so far from where I want to be. I don't think I'm ever, like, though I have those thoughts pop up in my head, like, I just can't control that of like, oh, that's dumb. Like, I wouldn't do that. I, that's also coupled with like, I'm so glad you're doing this outside. And I wish I could, you know, I'm, I, I don't like to like offer advice to people. I mean, I do like to offer advice to people, but I like, I'm hesitant because I know how it can come across. Um, so I, I, if I can, I engage with them, like the lady on the wall. I was like, oh, cool. Like you're climbing on the wall. And then I was like, yeah, there's this park called View Ridge. Like you should go check it out. There's great trees to climb, you know, and, and then just continue on. Yeah. Passion is contagious if you try and share it, even if they don't follow your direct suggestion. I was laughing before you were, you were talking about advice. And I was reminded of um, the, the writer Oscar Wilde <laughs> said, the best thing to do with good advice is to give it to other people because you're certainly not going to take it yourself. Right. So <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. So I, I have this, uh, so we, uh, your podcast for out of retreat went out in February, but we spoke in mm, that September, late September, early September. When was out of retreat? Um, yeah, September. So I'm like trying to rewind my brain like six, eight months. And I recall, watch this beat, not you. I recall having the beginning of a conversation, but we didn't get into it, about vision and how that works outdoors versus indoors. Please tell me that was you that I had that conversation with. I could be completely wrong. Yeah, and, we, we, I do remember talking about it. Because what stuck in my mind about that was the idea of thinking about um, so we think about how big is your physical space. Like generally people think about this. I'm in a room versus I'm outside. But I never really thought about what the visuals, the size of the visual space was as well. Was this where we were talking about this? And the idea that's so in the room that I'm sitting in, yeah, okay, it's two feet to this wall, but you know, eight feet to that one, six feet to the one in front of me. But really that's it. I'm in a six foot-ish sphere. So my eyes are focused close the whole time. I never really... I never really 
I guess it's relax my vision to see long distance. Yeah, we talk about range of motion with your eyes. Right. And the, okay, good. <laughs> Without doing a bunch of research or fun, I'm like, I would swear that that was Kyle I was talking to about that. So I'm, I'm wondering if you remember that, you seem to. Can we pick back up on that? Because that was something I've always wanted to dig into after having started that conversation eight months ago, whatever it was. Yeah, so this is something that I learned from Katie Bowman, um, who's an amazing mom, natural mover, biomechanist in the space out here in Washington. And she essentially talked about like your, like if you're doing a bicep curl, right? I can curl all the way up and extend all the way down. And that's my range of motion. Well, your eyes have, I think they're called ciliary muscles that do the same thing. So when you look close, the ciliary muscles contract and uh, convex, concave the lens. Um, so they squeeze the lens to make it more round so that you can focus on something closer. closer. And then when you're outside or you're looking far away, they, the muscles relax and flatten the lens mm. so that you can see further. Um, but since we spend so much time indoors, or, so they said if, you know, it's different for everybody, but if like the human can see roughly up to one mile, away that would be our max range of motion and so when we're indoors we're using i forget the exact numbers but it's something like 0.04 percent of that range of motion and then we develop those muscles so it's like kind of doing like a bicep curl probably like this yeah all the way in the last little part (laughs) it's constantly it's more isometric yeah and have you have you been playing with that? Like, do you ha, like? Because now my brain goes, oh well. Then what I want to do is the next day that I have a headache or something, I should go outside and go for it. Wait a second, that's exactly what I do when I don't feel well. I go outside and I go for a walk. And I'm wondering if that isn't playing a big part. Um, you know, just the ocular difference. If that isn't playing a big part in the mood change and my relaxation when I'm outside. Yeah, and the eyes are deeply linked to the brain, right? They're not only just physically close, but they the visual ocular reflex is greatly, greatly impacting the brain. And then from like a survival perspective, your eyes are always looking and checking for safety. So your eyes can help regulate the nervous system if you're like in a in a sympathetic state, right? The the vision narrows and focuses and by like looking around and and getting oriented that can help show you the safety and help relax and calm the nervous system. You can also use like saccades uh, in like strength training or in mobility work. And from this is like from functional neurology, but if I hold up my thumbs like this and I look back and forth, that is, and then there's all these different eye positions, but yeah, they can, they can really stimulate the brain. Hmm. There's a, I'm going to go out on the limb here without cheating and Googling. There's a form of psychological therapy that uses those cicades, except instead of you doing it with your eyes, they tap on you. Have you ever heard of this? It's like, it actually works for, I think it actually works for PTSD. They do things like that. I don't know if you have to tap on yourself or they tap on you, but basically they do like cicade, you know, cycling, tapping like on your thigh or on your arm. And something about that actually modifies the mental state that you're in. So like it can have a calming effect or it can change your your thought patterns and change your brain waves as a form of treatment. I'm probably completely wrong. Yeah, I know in um, somatic therapy, 
and I'm not sure if this is exactly related, but there, there are several techniques. So, so uh, textures, so like touching the ground mm. or touching like a carpet or something is orienting to the nervous system. And then the eyes, so like, yeah, those like touch or tapping, grasping and eyes, these are all kind of like natural therapeutic ways that we would calm ourselves, like, because we get so caught up in our head that the story is what runs away right. and creates that anxiety. And, but the orienting of the eyes, the like touching of our body or the earth is like, oh, okay, this is, you know, I mean, this is where I am right now. <laughs> like, it's not that bad. Like, pull it in. <laughs> So we're about 35 or coming up on 40 minutes in, and I'm wondering, is there anything that was on your mind when you came into this uh, conversation today that you're like, oh, I want to make sure that I get a chance to talk about, because otherwise I can just come up with questions till the cows come home. And I'm wondering, is there anything that's in the top of your mind at the moment? Like, oh, I want to make sure I get to dot, dot, dot. Uh, yeah, you know, when we were talking about like the gym and parkour and how, you know, there, there seems to be a big separation um, in between those. And then, you know, just in my experience, like I feel like a lot of the parkour athletes I see training in the gym are not uh, like, tr like sport specific training in a way. And it's been interesting. I've been, I've been talking with and following a lot of Ryan Ford's work. Mm. And he seems to be one of the only people in the space that's really utilizing these concepts. You know, so I see and and so and I've and I I work pretty closely with Rafe Kelly at Evolve Move Play, and we've been talking about this this efficiency principle in training. And you know, there's so many things to train, but how can I kind of what's like the twenty percent of the things that I can do that's going to give me the eighty percent of the things? Like, what are the free gains I can get? So yeah, I'm really interested that that perspective from both a strength and conditioning perspective, you know, like a, an example is like by working towards your one arm chin up, you can increase your weighted did ups, dip or your, your weighted chin ups, you know, you can increase your dips, you can increase like your bench press, all these things that you get for free, but none of those things will help you get a one arm chin up. Right. And then that similar concept in nature is like, you know, I'm balancing on branches and jumping from trees and like moving in this chaotic, dynamic environment, jumping over creeks and walking on rocks that are moving. And when I do that, it's hard and I have to pay attention. But then when I move into a gym space, like it's so safe and solid. And I feel like I'm, again, that gives me this, but this doesn't necessarily equate to that and so that's just a big like question i have and i don't see a lot of people i mean i mean yeah the, really the only person i've seen do it from a strength and conditioning perspective is ryan ford and then i think rafe does it from like a natural movement perspective and i'm just curious yeah like what are your thoughts or what have you seen in that space about that uh, I have That's a very good question. Like, that's a good point you bring up and asking me is like, hmm, I was, I'm not sure. I, I know that my personal experience, I don't think I've ever unpacked this and like really thought about it. My personal experience was that I did 
I, I did a couple of done a bunch of crazy things, but I, I did an experiment once where I tried to do a bunch of bar to bar precisions. I had like some scaff set up, you know, out back. Um, and I did a lot of them, thousands of them. And I didn't realize it at the time, but a lot of other things that I was doing got vastly better. Like my back, mm. just generally my health of my back got better and my ability to like go out and do a traditional parkour class for like an hour and a half and then just be like tomorrow. Yeah, I'm okay. Like there, you know, there was something about, and I think you're pointing at what it was. There's something about that particular exercise, which is not something I ever do. Like having to stand on a rail and jump to a rail just doesn't come up. But having done, I uh, did like 6,000 of them, having done bunches of them in minimalist shoes, it was like all the rest of this stuff looking back, oh, all those other things got better at that same time. So I'm going to say, yeah, I have anecdotal, you know, N equals one evidence for that. And now I'm, now I'm thinking like, yeah, where else have I done? <laughs> where else has that come up? But I don't think I've ever had um, that actual conversation. I know um, Rafe and I got close to that. We talked a lot about his pedagogy and, and how he teaches. We talked a lot about why he teaches in the natural environment. But I don't think at the time that we were talking, I was really thinking about that. So I, thank you for bringing that up. It's a really interesting way to, to analyze like, okay, should I do this? Or if I'm doing it, what results am I getting? I think that's a good point. Yeah. And, I, and I've been trying to apply that to the strength and conditioning perspective. Like another example is like handstand pushups. Right, especially in this time where we don't have access to gyms, but using like body weight, you know, levers and like mm. accommodating resistance, you know, a handstand push-up is can be really freaking hard, um, even at its supported levels. But it's going to give you an overhead press. It's going to give you a dip. It's going to work towards your muscle ups, um, and that's all going to transfer into your parkour skills as well. And so that's just like the big conversation that's in my head of like, I don't see enough sports specific parkour training and, and the people that I do, I think are using like outdated strength and conditioning models mm. of, of just like classic workouts versus that, yeah, bringing in that perspective of like, what is the thing that is actually like worth my time and is going to make me dramatically better at all these things. So now I train this and then now I do a climb up and my climb ups are like really good, right? Versus just, you know, there's the skill of the climb up, but then there's the strength of it. Mm. And that's kind of a, a experiment I've been playing with is how can I get my climb ups for free without working on climb ups? Yes, please. And <laughs> yeah. A lot of the, like, I keep noticing a lot of the things that you're bringing up here you you have a very inspired perspective on things. Like sometimes people like me, I can get like way too in my head about deciding what I'm going to do next and then, you know, programming it. And I'm just wondering what's something that's currently that's what's something that's currently really inspiring you, something that you can point to. Yeah, something I'm inspired by right now that actually doesn't have anything to do with parkour is trailing animals. So I want to be able to go into the woods and see a depressed plant, know that a bear stepped on that plant, and then I want to follow that trail to the bear. I'm torn me asking why or <laughs> or how are you working on that? But like, what, um, what, why do you, why is that drawing your attention? Why is that inspiring you? A couple of ways. So I'm fascinated with the way that people see the world. It is like, 
people that we could both stand on the back porch and be looking at the exact same thing and see completely different things or not see things. Right. And I had the opportunity to go out with a gentleman named Casey McFarland who runs all these uh, trailing evals and tracking evals all over the world. And like the way that he could see the world, I, I, I like, I literally couldn't see the things that he could see. Mm-hmm. And so it's all about paying attention. And then uh, I watched Sherlock on the BBC and it like shows him like, look at your shirt and there's, you know, he can tell you like your whole history based on like how you're standing. And so it's that, that ability to, to see subtlety and to make deductions and interpretations based on evidence. And so I, how I'm, so I'm, I'm like fascinated by that. Like, wow, I have somebody in my life who can do this. So I know it's attainable. And I've had glimpses of seeing things that other people can't see, like a bird flies by or, you know, whatever, an animal or, you know, even a jump, right? You're like, Oh dude, you see that gap over there? And people are like, what are you talking about? Right. So it's, it's linked into parkour vision. And I think it's the highest level of noticing and, and I'm, yeah, I'm fascinated by that ability. I'm curious how it will translate into my day-to-day life and how I'm working on it is actually just at the park. Uh, I have a baseball field by my house and there's always dogs running through the mud. And so I'm, as I'm walking up to the baseball field, I'm seeing how far away can I spot a track and can I tell which direction it's going. And then eventually like, who is it? And, and things like that. Well, now I'm stoked. I'm like, okay, six, eight months from now, we have to have another conversation because I want to ask about <laughs> how, that, how far how that's worked out and how far you've gotten. But I want to be mindful of your time today. That's probably an excellent place to stop. If people want to get in touch with you, we will link um, stuff for you in the show notes and you know anything that we mentioned, like Katie Bowman and stuff, we'll link that so that people can just go there and like go pull all that stuff up. And I think that's a great place to end for the day as much as I never, I never want to stop. Like I'm always like, I don't want to end these calls, but I, I try to be mindful of keeping them short enough that people can, you know, commit 45 minutes to watch them. So Kyle, it was a pleasure to get a chance to talk to you again. And I hope you have a healthy and safe rest of your week over on the West Coast. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Craig. It was so great to chat with you. I really enjoyed this and I appreciate your perspective. Thank you. My pleasure. You're very welcome. Have a good morning. Bye-bye.